Thing we got a hit now, and we can make this a 30-second episode. Michael Pineda released by the Detroit Tigers. Peter Apple, how do you feel about that on Thursday, September 8th? Just baseball show is what you're listening to. Why'd they do it? I mean, I, I understand why, because he hasn't been any good this year, but the Tigers are in need of arms right now. Is Michael Pineda leaving better than Drew Hutchinson? Probably not pitching for the Tigers anymore. He starts today as we're recording on Wednesday to be released on Thursday. Is Michael Pineda really the problem where they thought, yep, time to DFA? And then that just goes back to my main point and your point as well. Why didn't the Tigers trade some of these guys at the deadline? I have a lot of thoughts, Jack. I have a lot of thoughts on Michael Pineda. And that's probably why you listen to the Just Baseball show, because we have a lot of thoughts on kind of meaningless headlines. Correct. Uh, Jack, Peter, Michael Pineda, 46 and two-thirds innings. Uh, 26 strikeouts. That's five Ks per nine for Pineda, which is better than four. Way better than three. It's so much better than three. <laughs> Look up Drew Hutchinson stats and tell me that Michael Pineda is not a better option than him. He might not be. I haven't dove deep into the Drew Hutchinson versus Michael Pineda saga lately, but I guarantee Dude. it's not that far off. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Drew Hutchinson, 5.8 Ks per nine. That's their, a lot right. better than five. What are the, that is a lot. That's almost six. What are their lot? What are their ERAs? ERA doesn't matter. K's per nine okay. is the only thing that matters. Come on. Um, K's per nine doesn't even really matter that much. It's really a percentage because think about this for a second. Let's say you get bombed. You go through seven hitters in an inning, but you strike out two of them. Is that better than going one, two, three and only striking out one of them? No. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. Um, the only no, thing no, I'm just saying that for the main. Yeah, no. So the only thing that really matters to me I'm here. Not, I'm not actually coming in versus Pineda right now. I understand. Um, the only thing that really matters to me here is intentional walks issued. Drew Hutchison has uh, allowed one intentional walk. And so far this year, Michael Pineda has not intentionally walked anybody. So that shows you who... Um, A.J. Hinch is the most confident in. I had to think about it because the Tigers have been so irrelevant. But we're not talking about the Tigers. We're talking about the American League Central and the National League East. Those divisional races are crazy. Also, a couple of notable IL additions and subtractions around the league that we want to get to. Uh, And there are also some superstars that everybody knows are really good. Peter doesn't think you guys know how good they've been. Exactly. That's the big thing there. So we'll hit that at the end. But first, let's start with the American League Central, because as it stands right now, as we record at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, September 7th, the Cleveland Guardians are a game and a half clear of the Minnesota Twins at 70 and 64. Minnesota is at 68 and 65. And the White Sox at 68 and 68 are three back of the division lead. These teams are not good enough to be postseason teams. But the beauty of baseball is one of them's going to fucking be there. 
See, I do think the Guardians are good enough to be a postseason team. I do, because they have the starting pitching with the bullpen, and when the offense is rolling, they are a good team. The problem with the Guardians is that they don't seem like they want to win this division. They are four and six in their last 10 games. If you watch the Guardians, their offense is just not there, and it's really led by Jose Ramirez, who's had one of the worst second halves from – you know, not one of the worst second halves in, in all of baseball, one of the worst second halves of superstars. We talk about Rafael Devers having a really tough second half. Jose Ramirez has not been that great in the second half. The offense is what's troubling here for the Guardians. The Kansas City Royals, as a team, have more runs this season than the Cleveland Guardians do. 541 runs scored for the Royals to Oh, that's wrong. 557. Hmm. I read that as 537, but it's that close. That's what I'm talking about. Like the White Sox and the Twins have scored more runs than the Cleveland Guardians. The offense is just, if it's not rolling, if Jose Ramirez is an all-out superstar, if Josh Naylor isn't hitting a home run every other day, if Andres Jimenez isn't incredible, you know, Ahmed Rosario is fine. Stephen Kwan has to be hitting 300 to 310 for this offense to roll and it just hasn't been and but then you go to the minnesota twins and white Sox, and it's not like they're playing that well either yeah that's my concern so like shane bieber's been really good really Um, good cal quantrill has been really good yes he has been been. yeah hey man way to get get serious yeah yes cal quantrill he's been electric i agree electric yes i agree with you yes he's really good it, Tristan McKenzie has been good too, but but four and five in the rotation have been sputtering areas for Cleveland. Um, now, I, I tweeted something out last week, like how, just how good the back end of the bullpen has been for Cleveland. So the pitching is not really the concern here. I think you hit the nail on the head because Jose Ramirez, since the All-Star break, is hitting 263 with a 760 OPS. Now, that is good. Mid. Yeah, it's all right. Mid. Like it's you mid. for Jose Ramirez, that OPS should be 950. He should be rolling. He's one of the best players in baseball. He's one Nine, of the best players in baseball. 950 so drastic, but like He's one of the best players in baseball. That should be 950. I expect nothing less from, in my opinion, the best third baseman in baseball. Nothing less. I would That's expect fair. 900. Sure. 950 is high. Let's agree on 925. No, like I'm going to tell you who's got a 925 OPS right now on the year. Sure. Uh, let's see. As I sort, as I go through this, the portal's acting up on me. Okay. Um, well, Goldie's the leader right now. Judge is the leader, I'm sure. Wow. I've got a bunch. Okay. Yeah. Judge the leader at 1085. Goldschmidt at 1028. Um, Manny Machado has a 901 OPS. J Ram at 882. Um, a nine thing. He's been a 760 OPS guy for a while, and he's still at 888. He should be at a 925, 950 OPS this season. Correct. So 925 would be three points better than Austin Riley. Do you yep. you think J Ram should be three points better than Austin Riley? Yes. I don't even think that's blasphemous. Of course I do. It's Jose Ramirez. The same Jose Ramirez who's like a 3025 guy who hits 280 with an on-base percentage at 370 and slugs over 500. But yeah, dude, for eight, sure. But 880 so good still. Yeah, like no, he's, Ram- he's one of the best players in baseball. But to be the best, which I believe that he is, he should be better. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing that he should be better since the all-star break, like 760 OPS from Jose Ramirez is not going to cut it. No. Um, and you've got Steven Kwan right around 780, but like a lot of that comes from the OBP. He's not should Kwan be better since the all-star break. No, than Jose Ramirez. no, he should. I'm, now I'm upset. You know what? Andres <laughs> Ramirez shouldn't be better than Jose Ramirez, but Andres Jimenez has been great. But then you look around and like Miles Straw is hitting under 200. I'm Ed yeah. Rosario is kind of sucked. That's my worry with Cleveland offensive depth. I just don't, I don't know if it's there when everything's not right. You know what I mean? Like the white Sox, they've got enough offense. Now, granted the bottom of that lineup pisses me off. It makes me want to crawl into a fetal position and cry, but (laughs) the top of that lineup, even if like two guys aren't performing well, I'm still not too worried because if Luis Robert and a healthy Tim Anderson aren't performing well, or say like right now, if Luis Robert and Jose Abreu aren't performing well, you fall back on Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn and others. Cleveland does not have that luxury. I think one through nine, when they're right, can be a very fun and well-oiled machine. But when two of them are off, particularly when Jose Ramirez and another are off, then you don't have the impact that you need to be a legitimate contending team. I totally agree with you. Jose Ramirez might be the most important hitter on any team in baseball because you're talking about how the White Sox, their 7-8-9 is a hole. It's not as bad as Cleveland's 7-8-9. Tyler Friedman, who's been playing third base, has been a he's been fine. But then you go to the catching position. Then you go to Miles Straw, in the outfield, who is an automatic out. He's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball, and he's a valuable player, but he cannot hit worth anything. So when you have seven, eight, nine making the first, second, and third out basically every single game, you need Jose Ramirez, you need Oscar Gonzalez, you need Josh Naylor to be big-time threats. And Oscar Gonzalez hits the living crap out of the ball, and he's going to be a good player in this league. But he is still dealing with inconsistency. Josh Naylor is pretty awesome. Josh Naylor comes through when you need him most. But Josh Naylor, over the full season, his stat line isn't as robust as you might think. So if Jose Ramirez doesn't have a 925, 950 OPS, this offense is just, Meh. Yeah. Meh. It is. It's meh. I think I don't want it to be. I want Cleveland to succeed. I want Cleveland to succeed bad. Um, I don't know if they want to succeed this year. Minnesota, end quote, Joe Biden. Minnesota. Uh <laughs> Byron Buxton has an 866 OPS since the break, but he's only played 19 games. He's on the IL again. You can't rely on Byron Buxton. Nick Gordon's been great. 820 OPS in 36 games. Jose Miranda hitting 302 with an 800 OPS in 39 games since the break. But then you start to fall off. Gio Urshela is around 750, which like is good for Urshela. Carlos Correa needs to be a lot better than a 750 OPS since the break. Gio Urshela is 729, though. Like, he's not that close to 750. It's, it's, it's like almost worse than you're saying. I've got 755 since the All-Star break. Oh, since the All-Star break. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. I was talking a full season. 755. Um, So he's turned it up a notch. But Carlos Correa needs to be a lot better than 754 since the break. And yes. Luis Arise 
He's hitting 267 in his last 36 games. It's not like he is batting title Luis Arise anymore. Um, lost it. Also, I was looking at this. Um, Xander Bogarts is the provisional batting champ in the American League right now at 315. Last time a batting average was that low to win a batting title was Tony Gwynn in 88, 313. And then mm. I think Carl Yastrzemski won it in 68, hitting like 301. But, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to, like, how baseball has changed as a whole, right? Like, Yuli Gurriel won a batting title last year, hitting 319. Yeah. Like, we need to see the batting champ be around, like, 340, 350. Remember when Joe Maurer would hit 360 I'm as a catcher? Batting title by year. Um, I was looking at this yesterday, and I was floored. Like, Tim I, Anderson hit 335 in 2019. Which is electric. That's a batting title. Mookie Betts in 2018 hit 346. That's a batting title. That's a batting title. Miguel Cabrera slashed 338, 445, 34 in 2015. That wasn't even his triple crown year. I think, though, to win a batting title, you should hit over 340. Like, just because you lead the league in average doesn't mean you get a batting title. You should hit over 340. You know what? Fuck it. No batting title this year. <laughs> Fuck it. No, take it away. Also, to not wrap up on the Twins because we can continue with their pitching, How's Gary Sanchez been doing, Minnesota? What El did I warn Gary? you about? What did I warn you about? El I warned you. Gary. I warned you. There's a reason the Twids, how talented they are, they have a catcher named Gary Sanchez. When you have a catcher named Gary Sanchez, I'll leave it at that. 30 games since the All-Star break, hitting 202 with a 369 slugging percentage. L Kraken Gary. Gross. L Kraken Gary. Yeah. Uh, he's got a 0.7 war this year. Since the All Star break, Joe Ryan has a five and a half ERA. Chris Archer has a six and a half ERA. And they're making consistent starts Stinky. for Minnesota. Stinky, man. Like Dylan Bundy at three and a half. I don't feel good if Bundy is in a playoff rotation. I feel will terrible, be. frankly. He will be. If Minnesota makes it, Sonny yeah. Gray, I feel good about. Like Sonny Gray has had a very good. good second half. Yeah. Um, but like I just don't feel good. And then you got Tyler Malley on the shelf again, again, again. It's not good in Minnesota. I. And then in the, the bullpen, off. And then in the bullpen, Yoan Duran really has been kind of the, the saving grace back there. But like they're still giving Emilio Pagan opportunities. And I think Emilio Begon has given up more home runs than like any reliever ever. You know, that's probably not a real stat, but it feels like that. It feels like it. You might be right. Emilio Pagan, four bombs in 19 and two thirds innings since the All-Star break. That's high. I mean, I'm just I also I was also looking the other day. Parker Dunshee has allowed 34 home runs with Las Vegas. With that's, the aviators. That's too many home that's runs. Such a high number of home runs. You look you look at these ERAs just in the bullpen. Like Griffin Jacks has been the there's Yoan Duran at 1.82, then there's Griffin Jacks at 3.34, then Philbar at 3.83. And then you have Fulmer who came over who hasn't really given you much, and he hasn't been that good. You got McGill. I mean, Cotton's been good for them, but he hasn't thrown that much. Like, their guys who are supposed to be giving them a bunch of innings are four ERA guys in the pen. 
And I know ERA is not the perfect example of how to evaluate a reliever, but that's just what we're looking at from a production standpoint. And we can look at the entire Twins bullpen and say, nobody really scares you outside of Duran. And you can't have one reliever and one pretty good starting pitcher and make it in this league. So if you had if you had one number to evaluate relievers and it's not hit batsmen, what would it be? <laughs> Walks. Walks. Don't fucking walk anybody. <laughs> Throw the ball to strike zone. I think mine is like, would would whip make sense? Yeah, I mean, you could say you could say FIP. You could say, I kind of like whip. Sure, relievers. Sure. I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate a reliever. Just pitching ninja appearances. You know what? You know what's a good way? You look at, I mean, this is might even piss you off. You can look at opponent ex Woba. The ex Woba against you. Just your quality of contact. I'm going to leave the Zoom meeting. I'm going to hand. I know. The reason I say that is because I was looking at that this morning and the list of relievers. I thought to myself, yeah, these are probably the best relievers in baseball. They all had really low ex-wobas because ex-woba, again, takes in your quality of contact, launch angle, exit velocities with your strike cuts and your walks. You want to strike out more guys, walk less people, and give up soft contact. That's what ex-woba evaluates. So the pitchers with the lowest ex-woba, like give me that. I don't really know how to do it because I'll look at that this year and the next year it'll be just a complete opposite list. But I look at the relievers this year. I'm like that. Yeah, that's that's what I want. That makes sense for sure. Um, yeah. What, whatever number you use for Yoan Duran, he's been electric. Really Last good. 17 appearances for Duran. Um, opponents hitting 136 against him. One earned run. 25 punch outs. Yeah. I mean, he's electric. There, There's no debating that they have a guy back there. But you need more than a guy. Yeah. Um, now let's talk White Sox because they have a guy at the front of their rotation. You talk to me about him. I want to hear what you have. Dude, to say. it's so hard. <laughs> like all I do is just waffle on these guys. It's incredible. I mean, well, this Andrews has been good since coming over. And, well, like I was, I think I was telling Arm like take away a nuke and four RBIs because he hit that bomb off Nick Gordon in like the ninth inning of that no hitter on Saturday. Um, but like. Here's my thing, and I've I've been so quick to declare him dead than alive, and I told Aram that like I kind of want to mention that the White Sox are in it ahead of when we recorded the Monday episode, and he was like, "No, you're such an asshole. Like, <laughs> you just keep on declaring them dead and like breaking out the defibrillator." I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to break out the defibrillator again." And now I want to just drive the knife into their sternum because like, yeah, they're going to win the division. They are. They are. <laughs> but. <laughs> They shouldn't even make any sense. They're not even good at baseball. They're so undisciplined. They play horrible defense. They have guys out of position. They like sometimes just don't show up at the plate. For example, they were facing Logan Gilbert, got absolutely demolished by Gilbert. Good outing by Gilbert. Looked great. But they just, they didn't even have a prayer against him. It's not that, oh, they were hitting the ball hard and they look good. No, they didn't have a prayer. And now the White Sox, when they have this right in front of them, the division is right in front of them. They go five and five in their last 10 games. It's just like they have a negative 29 run differential as a team. They're just, they're so annoying. And I understand as a fan of them, you must be upset. It's, it's hard. It's really, hard. so we're recording at three fifteen Now it's three fifteen. Um, 
this will come out after Kopech and Luis Castillo at 410 Eastern. Um, I think he pitches well today. Yeah, I think Kopech could throw well today. Kopech is obviously massive for them, but here's the thing. Like, you get blanked by Logan Gilbert, and Johnny Cueto throws well, but he gets handed the loss. Like, today, they could win 10-1. That's what this White Sox team does, man. I think they're going to get blown up by Luis Castillo, but whenever I, like, am quick to make an assumption on this team, they do the exact opposite. So I want to abstain from any White Sox opinion moving forward, but that's not, that's not what we do here. I feel like I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. So don't Here's listen to Aurum. I like it. I like the football. I mean, you've seen me with the Yankees. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's good radio. Here's what I'm going to say. Um, Can I say one thing about uh, Johnny Cueto for a second. This is from yeah. Codify. Dylan Cease in 2022 road games, 65 and two thirds. He's allowed 13 earned runs. Johnny Cueto in road games this year. 65 and two-thirds, 13 earned runs. Damn. He, and I, I tweeted this out, this is the reason I'm not living in a castle. Do you know how many times I've tried to fade this man, believing that it wasn't true? Johnny it is, Cueto? I don't know what else to say. He's been awesome. Awesome. That's something for you. That's He'd be the ace on the Twins. Bro, he would be. He would be. Um. I'm getting OPS since the All-Star break. Aaron Judge, 13-13. Aaron Judge is pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, now, I want to give you where Eloy Jimenez stacks up right now. Okay. Because Eloy Jimenez has a better OPS since the All-Star break, since Austin Riley, Manny Machado, Adley Rutschman, Jock Peterson. List keeps on going. OPS since the All-Star break. That's what Jose Ramirez should be doing. That's what J-Ram should be doing. Um, Now, Eloy Jimenez has been an absolute beast. Um, Andrew Vaughn's not been that great this year. Can I say that? mm, He's been been solid. mm, I just expected him to really launch this year. Playing right field certainly doesn't help. I bet if he was playing first base or DHing all the time, he'd be better. But that, I mean, that's just what it is with Andrew Vaughn. This is actually exactly what I was expecting from Andrew Vaughn. 111 games so far this year, slashing 284, 335, 451. So that's like a 790 OPS. That's kind of what I expected. I hope that he ticks up to be an 850 guy at some point, but 790 feels on par. If I had told you before the season that Andrew Vaughn would have a 790 OPS, would you have said, yeah? Good season, Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, you would have? Yeah. I wouldn't have. I would say I need 820, 830. No, to- I'm okay with 790. I'm okay Third with overall seven. pick. But, like, the leader is Jose Abreu at 837. Like, Vaughn is second, pretty much, among, like, players that have actually played the majority. On a bad team. But are they a bad team? They might <laughs> make know. the postseason. It's so I don't know. hard, dude. I don't like, know. So here's just like my tie a bow. This is the last like sound <laughs> assessment of the Chicago White Sox that I will give you until the division is decided. I promise. Pony. Um, Dylan Cease, if Verlander misses two starts, could very well win the Cy Young. Like Dylan Cease 
should win the Cy Young, I think, when it's all said and done here. Michael Kopech is an X-Fact. He has proved that he should be in a playoff rotation. Mm-hmm. Lance Lynn has shown flashes, but what we saw with him being the front-of-the-line guy against the Houston Astros last year, you can't trust a guy with four different iterations of fastballs in the postseason against good fastball-hitting teams. How do you fill it in? Johnny Cueto might be part of this postseason rotation. I would trust Johnny Cueto over Lucas Giolito at this moment. Oh, you have to. And then offensively, yeah, the the sex appeal in the names is great. Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, Andrew Vaughn, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, hopefully he's healthy. But what are they actually going to give you? Because last year in the ALDS, Tim Anderson and Luis Robert were hitting singles to right every time. Like they were, you know, batting average for for that series was probably right around like 450. But they weren't impacting the baseball to have game-changing power. Um, And nobody else stepped up. That's my worry with the White Sox. They might get there because the other two teams may just forfeit this division to them. But what the hell are they going to do when they get there? And I think the answer when Dylan Cease is not on the mound is nothing. Johnny Cueto is going to shove in the playoffs. Dude. Lance Lynn's going to give you a weird start where it makes no sense, where he's blowing 94 by guys, where it's like, how? I just saw him shove against the Mariners. Shove. Again, the Mariners were coming off that terrible, you know, that was when I unbanned the White Sox for my bets. I was like, if they don't win this, they aren't even a major league team because the Mariners had to go across the country after a four-hour rain delay. Then they played into the 11th inning. Then they didn't get an off day to rest. And then they go play in Seattle. And Lynn, you know, they were already fine. The White Sox had to win that one. They won three to two. They didn't even show up really, but they they eked out a victory. For it was basically Elvis Andrews who won them, them that game. It wasn't the rest of the offense. The White Sox have already gotten too much airtime. I'm still going to go Guardians in the AL Central. I want to go Guardians so bad, but I think the White Sox. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. So stupid. So ridiculous. I would go the White Sox over the Twins, though. (sighs) Yeah, I would go White Sox over Twins. I think Guardians, White Sox, Twins. Guardians should win. Yeah, Guardians should win the division. Um, National League East. National League East, much more fun and a lot better teams. After game one of the doubleheader on Wednesday, the Mets now lead by a half game. But we entered play on Wednesday morning with the Braves and the Mets tied for the NL East lead. First time in about 120 days that the Mets had not been in sole possession of first place in the National League East. That is not an indictment on the New York Mets. That's a testament to the Atlanta Braves, who have won six in a row. The Braves are a wagon. They started slow. The Mets jumped out. But baseball's a long season, man. You play 162. The Mets have been really good. They've won five of their last 10. Like, okay, but they're 86 and 51, dude. Yes. That's a very good record. I just feel like everyone is just saying, oh, it's not the Mets' fault. It's just that the Braves are so unbelievable. It's not the lose. Mets' fault. It's not. It's it's not not the Mets' fault. You don't go and lose to the Nationals. You don't go then and lose to the Pirates. They won the first game of the doubleheader. We're about to see game two, and they'll probably win that one. And 
you know, maybe that was just a blip in the schedule because they just took a bunch of games from the Dodgers. I get it. But I don't think that we could just absolve the Mets of any fault. As you see the Braves killing all these teams, why aren't you killing the Nationals? Why aren't you killing the Pirates? So it's not that the Mets are blowing it. Like, the Yankees are blowing it. Yeah. The Mets are not blowing it, but they're not not blowing it. Yeah, for lack of a better term. All I'll say is Miami's lost eight in a row. Yeah, I'm not. If we're comparing New York sports teams, the Yankees are fucking collapsing. They're falling from buildings. The Mets aren't playing very well. There's a difference here, and I get it. But but if we're but it's not like the Mets have taken a stranglehold and been like, this is our division. I don't think we'd be surprised if the Braves end up winning this division. No, the no, Braves no. Are playing like a better team. Max yeah. Scherzer just went on the IL. Yes. Um. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if Atlanta won the NL East. I really wouldn't. Um. My thing with the Mets is like I don't even know if they're playing necessarily bad baseball. I just think they're playing normal baseball in the span of 162. Like baseball, sometimes you're going to lose to the Washington Nationals in a baseball season. That's that's just how that works. And and my thought is. Atlanta is curbing the idea of them possibly playing regular ass baseball. You know what I mean? Like they could just hit a regression like every other team on God's green earth, but Atlanta decided to pull some Dodgers and it's like, you know what? We're just never going to be bad ever. Yes. And Atlanta has been crazy, but it's not like Atlanta is going on this historic run either. Like they've, they, they've been winning. It seems like 70% of their games since the all-star break so since june 1st atlanta is 62 and 24 it's the best record in baseball the dodgers are 60 and 26 the mets are 52 and 34 so the braves have been 10 games better than the new york mets since june 1 yes so and that's why i say it's not that the Mets are collapsing. It's not that they're blowing it. They're playing much better than the Yankees, and they are better than the Yankees. But there is an element to this where the Mets have been in first place all year, and the Braves are catching fire kind of at the right time. So I would just be a little nervous if I'm a fan of the New York Mets that the Braves are really gaining steam while Max Scherzer now hits the IL. It's just... It's not a collapse. It's not. But there is an element there of the Mets have been here before, not to the same level. I don't think it's to the same level. And like my thing is Atlanta has been here before in the other way. You know what I mean? Atlanta has had their backs against the wall before. And last year, I mean, they were an 88-win postseason team, right? They won 88 games, and then they go on to win the World Series. Like, they were not a juggernaut at all last year. I think they learned how to win. They learned how to deal with adversity, and they became a juggernaut this year once the calendar flipped to June. Um, again, Atlanta 62-24 and 24 since June 1. Who's the worst team in baseball since June 1st? Oakland Athletics. No. Yankees. <laughs> The Yankees are eight games over 500 since June 1st. Surprising, honestly. Um, the worst team since June 1st. Nationals? No. Oakland and the Nats have 30 wins since June 1st. One team has 29 wins. 
Is it the Marlins? No. Marlins have 36. Rockies? They've been no. awful. No. Who is it? Is it the Pirates? It's the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ah. Pirates are 29 and 58 since June 1. That's incredible. Berg. (laughs) Brian Reynolds and company. The Berg. Um, Like Michael Chavis every day at first base. Yeah, talk about pitching over there. Dude. The fighting Mitch Kellers. You see, his first (laughs) scoreless outing of the year came in that win over the Mets on Tuesday. Oh, no. Yeah. That's why it almost feels like the bats are slightly collapsing. How do you get shut out by Mitch Keller? I think it's it's not actually – they're not collapsing. I just think it's funny that it's not like the Mets are losing to the Padres or the Mets are losing to even, like, the Cubs. Like, they're losing to the Nationals than the Pirates. So that's why it feels like a mini collapse, when in reality it's not. The Mets were – two and a half games above the Braves at the trade deadline. And now they're tied. So the Mets have still been playing good baseball. It's just recently, it's funny to look at who they've been losing to and think to yourself. I mean, it kind of feels like that, but it's not actually. Bro, the haters don't want to see raise that MF Jolly Roger. You know what I'm saying? Raise it. (laughs) Bucko's country. Let's ride. Um, How about those Phils? Phils don't really have a shot to win the division. Of course, they're 10 and a half back. Um, they've been going through some ups and downs. They haven't been as electric. I actually thought they were going to be almost unstoppable once they got Bryce Harper back, but it hasn't really been unstoppable, has it? No, it hasn't been unstoppable. Like the Phillies are, I think the Phillies should be a good postseason team. They're currently three games clear of Milwaukee. Um, they're tied with San Diego for that final wild card spot. So they're 74 and 61. They've lost six of the last 10. Um, where do you think the problem has lied? Do you think it's offensive firepower? Do you think it's pitching? Where do you think it is? I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, Aaron Nola turns in a pretty good start. Um, they win that game. I, I don't think it's really been anything in particular where the offense just hasn't shown up or the pitching gets bombed. Like Kyle Gibson has had a couple of rough starts lately, but he's not a problem. You know, the bullpen hasn't been bad. I, I do think it's just sometimes you're losing baseball games. Like, I don't think that – I don't watch Phillies games or look at the Phillies schedule and think to myself, oh, there's something bad happening. I just think it's kind of maybe who they are, that they are a well-above-average baseball team, that they will be in the playoffs, but that they're just not to the level of some of the best teams in baseball i think that's just what it is yeah i mean they also just finished up a a west coast road trip and and they're back home now they got a one-run win over miami yesterday at home they've got bailey falter going against trevor rogers today t raw um and then you've got sandy and kyle gibson and like they'll probably lose that game because sandy's not a bounce back start and kyle gibson just got just lost what 13 to 1 last time so yeah kyle gibson's gonna throw a perfect game yeah probably sandy is gonna be out after getting one out the Marlins can't hit anybody. So that game is that game might end 0-0. But you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Phillies win that game. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked either. Um, but I don't think that they are going to. Um, a couple of IL moves. We already mentioned Scherzer, like cause for concern there. 
think he's um, gonna be fine though. He said it's it's days, maybe a week, not months or anything. Uh, he's in his mind. He said he's gonna be back before the end of the season. It was fatigue on left side, right? Yes. As a right-handed pitcher, fatigue on his left side. So I'm not sure what was going on there, but like, if he thinks it's days, like Scherzer wouldn't BS us about that. Like, it'll be day. He'll be back for the postseason. I, I think like, he'll miss two starts. Yeah, so if he misses two starts, that's okay. It's just I feel like we're deprived of consistency with Scherzer and Degrom this year. You know what I mean? Like all Not I want consistency do, on the field, consistency of them being on the field. Yes, together. Like I, there's something that Mets fans could still be yearning for this year with all the success, and that is a month uninterrupted of seeing Scherzer start one day and Degrom start the next day, and you know, you might be getting that in the postseason, which is really cool. So um, that's that with that. Uh, Kopech, like, I don't know, having him back is massive. Um, I still think Davis Martin deserves a roster spot. Um, Why? You like him? I like him. Okay. I like him. He's he's better than some <laughs> of the other options that they're running out here. Um, no, he's not. That's the thing. He's not better than some of the other options. Cease is better. Cueto is the best. Yeah, Cueto yeah. is so good. Cueto's really good. Cueto's really good. Would you rather have Davis Martin or Lucas Giolito start a game right now? Let's be honest. Lucas Giolito. You're going to go to the stats and you're going to tell me that Lucas Giolito has a 40 ERA in the past five starts, and I know. But I would say that Lucas Giolito, I'd still rather have him than Davis Martin. Davis Martin doesn't seem ready to me. His command, like right. You're talking about Giolito's command. His command ain't that good either. Bro. <laughs> Up, he's pulling up the stats. Well, I'll just go through who I think is better. I think Cease is better. I think uh, Cueto is better. I think Lynn is better. I think Kopech is better. And I would have Giolito in there. So, like, I don't think he is better than the options that you have. Davis Martin, 17 <laughs> innings since the All-Star break. Six earned runs. Lucas Giolito, <laughs> 44 and two-thirds innings. 31 runs against him. He's got a 6-2-5 ERA in nine starts since the All-Star break. You're telling me that Davis Martin's 318 ERA is not worth an audition over Lucas Giolito's 625 second half I don't ERA? Take it back. I don't take it back. But I knew that was going to happen. Nuke I knew City. Giolito's ERA Seven was going to be pumps in 44 innings. Nuke yeah, City. Not yeah, it's not good. Opponents are hitting 314 <laughs> against him since the All-Star break. That's a batting title in the American League. Everybody's no, Xander Bogart. <laughs> No, remember we said a batting title, you have to hit 340? Well, not this year. <laughs> That's a no, Tony he... Gwynn batting title in 1988. Like, dude. couple other injuries that we have to go over. Yeah. Um, Andrew Benatendi's handmade bone, not good. Um, I don't know what to say. You want me to read you the lineup? You, you, I'm going to pull up the lineup, talk about whatever injury he has great good so i don't a, even want to talk about a handmade is like base of your palm on the outside half of it so like if you were to go straight down from your ring finger right above your wrist that's where your handmate bone is um that's a very common injury now among hitters and there's a handmate guard that a lot of guys are wearing especially that i've seen at the triple a level and i've talked to him about it um we've got a guy carter bins who's a prospect in the pirates org and I was talking to him and he said, he's broken both handmates in like both hands. I'm like, how the fuck does that happen? But Ben Benintendi broke it while swinging. He had to leave the at-bat on Friday in Tampa uh, mid plate appearance because he broke it while swinging. 
Um, he's going to come back, wear a guard, but like Benintendi might be cooked for the, you know, for the stretch run for the Yankees here, uh, which is brutal. But yeah, do a dramatic reading of the uh, of the lineup for the Yankees on Wednesday. Yankees are losing two to zero to the Twins, and I just made fun of the Twins, and they're already up two zero in Game One against Domingo Herman. Uh, Miranda hit a home run and a rise scored. The lineup: Oswaldo Cabrera, who's hitting one eighty eight this year, leadoff. Aaron Judge, best player alive. Gleyber Torres. What else do I have to say? Ronald Guzman is hitting fourth. 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 That's the cleanup spot from the That's guy the that they pulled. The, the fourth from the guy that they pulled up from the minor leagues. Miguel Anuhar is hitting fifth. Isaiah Kiner Falev is hitting sixth. Estevan Floreal is hitting seventh. Kyle Agashioka and his 193 batting average is hitting eighth. And rounding out the lineup is Oswald Peraza, who hasn't had his major league hit yet. It's only been a couple of games. Um, if you had told me that that was the Yankees' high A lineup with Judge, you know, on a rehab assignment, I would have said, makes sense. But nope, it's September 8th, 7th. Whatever. And this is the lineup they're putting out there. It's not good. Guys are hurt. Guys are hurt. Guys are hurt. I get it. Guys are hurt. Guys are hurt. Andrew Benatendi hurt his hand. Um, Rizzo's out. Stan's not playing. It's the first game of doubleheader, so you're not going to see the best lineup anyway, but this is the worst lineup I've ever seen of the Yankees this season. Yeah, dude. When you need a win. It's just, where's all the good players? Where are they? Um, one of them's in the two hole. And then the others are sitting or on the IL. But there like even at full health, do you have supreme confidence in this lineup? Nope. Like, no. The answer is nope. no, which is crazy. Nope. Wow, that's crazy. You? No. No. There you go. So I'm not being like, I'm not over exaggerating here. I just I think it's funny, like. We were talking about how good the Yankee pitching staff was in the front half. I don't think people realized how good the pitching staff was because it masked any concern about the offense. Unbelievable, the pitching staff. Combined with the bullpen when Clay Holmes looked like Mariano Rivera. Yeah, kind of crazy. Kind of yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, kind of crazy, Jack. Uh, um, another IL move that we got to talk about before we get to our, uh, you know, quote-unquote, like forgotten superstars, guys that like, you might have forgotten just how good they might have been this year. Um, the Cardinals, this just came in. Cardinals placed Dylan Carlson on the 10-day IL. They select Alec Burleson for his Major League debut. That's big. Uh, Alec Burleson getting the nod. So uh, I'm sure Arm's stoked about that. Alec Burleson, a, a top 100 guy um, with an OPS over 900 in AAA. So, lean, lean the minor leagues in basically all offensive categories. Been awesome this year. Burleson is a, uh, yeah, he, he takes daddy hacks. He's, he's a big dude, former two-way guy at East Carolina. Um, pretty solid outfielder. Doesn't really walk, doesn't really strike out. He is uh, a put-the-ball-in-play and put-the-ball-in-play-with-authority guy. So he is going to be uh, a fun watch for the Cardinals here, I think. And, and Cardinals fans, if you want to listen to an interview, Aram did it with him on the call-up. You can find that on our YouTube, but you can also find it on the call-up podcast. Broke it down. 
what I love when Arm does is he breaks down like at bats with these guys too. So he does the interview and then he like goes in and looks at film and says, what are you looking at here? Like, how do you, how do you do this? How do you do that? Great interview. Check out it. Check it out on our YouTube. Yes. There we go. All right. Um, Walk me through four guys that you think like, yeah. And, and these are not four guys that are quote unquote underrated. Like no. that's not what this is at all. Like one of them's fucking Mike Trout. Yes. Um, so like we know how good Mike Trout is, but um, all the discourse in baseball seems to be around Goldschmidt and yeah. Alonzo and Schwarber. And and then you look at underrated guys and everyone wants to, well, why doesn't this guy get enough noise? Why doesn't this guy get enough noise? So it's like we cover the best players in baseball. Then we cover the guys who need some more shine. But then what's lost in translation is these guys who do it year in and year out and are all some of the best at their position again they've been superstars here for a while but we just never talk about them now uh, mm, mm, we mm. talk about these guys a lot mm. but yeah we do maybe not maybe not as much as some others this year but these are still four of the best players in baseball that you're about to mention uh yes yes but I personally, you know, I'm I'm a person on this podcast, as you are as well. I don't think that we've talked about how good these four players have been this year. When's the last time we were really talking about Mike Trout? I don't know, when he was hurt? Exactly. When we were, like, making fun of him. But we shouldn't make fun of him. So why don't we start with Mike Trout before I get into three guys? Because what I have is a lot of ranks among their position about these guys basically being the best at their position. But let's start with Mike Trout, because Mike Trout has made some changes to his approach at the plate, and it's extremely interesting. So if you had to notice, Mike Trout, if qualified, is fourth in OPS in baseball at 972. Like Mike Trout is still one of the best overall players in baseball. The reason why I wanted to talk about him is I've seen on social media, a lot of people says he's fallen off at age 31. He really hasn't. He's ninth in home run in all of baseball. Ninth. He's 31. That's as much as Jordan Alvarez. That's four more than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in 40 less games than these guys. So what he's done, he has the highest launch angle of his career combined with the lowest ground ball rate since 2019. He has the highest zone contact, highest swing percentage in the zone. And it's the first time his swing rate is over 40% in his career. And it's at 43%. So he's swinging at a lot more pitches and what he's doing is he's he's not walking as much. So you're not seeing the on-base percentage. You're not seeing the 300 hitter from Trout anymore. He's almost changing into this, I'm going to be a guy who hits 50 home runs year in and year out. He's in the 95th percentile in sprint speed. He hasn't lost anything in terms of his speed, but he's not stealing bases anymore. And all of this has combined. He has the highest whiff rate and the highest chase rate and the lowest walk rate in his career. So Mike Trout has decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hit the ball in the air as much as possible. I'm going to swing at more pitches because I'm Mike Trout. And especially on the Angels, I can't afford to take pitches. I have to hit the ball more often. I have to swing at more pitches. And when I get the ball in the air... And I have the 99th percentile in a hard hit, 98th percentile in barrel rate. I'm going to do more damage even if I don't get my perfect pitch anymore. And what that's resulted in is one of the premier power hitters in our game. Mike Trout is almost somewhat reinventing himself, almost kind of what Joey Votto did last year. But Mike Trout is 
doing it at age 31. And what it's resulting in is, is one of the great power hitters now. And honestly, he's going to hit 500 home runs. He might be a 600 home run guy when it's all said and done. Mike Trout is not slowing down. I remember we, we sounded the alarm slightly with his back. It doesn't seem to be an issue. That might have been overblown, and it might have honestly been, the more I read into it, everything, it seemed like it was not good. You know, this was a injury that we haven't seen that doctors were saying, you know, this is a very unique case. And then he comes out and says, screw that. I'm a power bat. Like he is, he's on pace. If he played 162 games this season, 54 home runs. Like that's what he'd be at. He'd be right behind Aaron Judge. He's ninth in 40 less games. He's an incredible player, and he's the top three players still in our game. So Mike Trout, um, I, I really like that look into like him swinging a lot. Um, my worry with his, my worry with his back is like it's just going to be something that looms over his head for the entirety of his career. So I'm not six thousand and fifty eight career plate appearances are in the book for Mike Trout as of Wednesday, September seventh. What's his OPS? Nine sixty. One thousand exactly. What? 6,058 plate appearances across a 12-year major league career. He's got a 1,000 OPS on the nose. He's slashing 303, 415, 585 in his career. Um, So here's where I think he's going to change. I think the Mike Trout that we're going to see moving forward, because how many home runs does he average about per season over those four? Fuck, he's good. (laughs) I think if he stays healthy, this is a... 280, 370, 630 guy where the OPS doesn't really change much, but he leans more into the power. He's going to strike out a little bit more. He's not going to walk as much, but he's going to hit 50 home runs year over year, or at least if he stays healthy, that's what he can do. Lord, I just don't, I, I, and I'm not going to say like, he's not going to stay healthy. Here's what I'll say. Linebacker. Yeah, but if if he is an intricate, finely tuned human being for the rest of his career, where if he has a slight tweak of his back that he's out for three weeks, um, that's going to suck. Now, I think we're going to see 30 homer years every year from Mike Trout. The question is, does that happen over 110 games or 130 games? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the only thing that I have doubts about. Trout is slugging 607 this year. The slugging is going to stay around 600 for the next five years. Mike Trout, in terms of counting numbers right now, he's 13 double shy of 300. He's got 341 career homers. He is 23 RBI shy of 900. He's already got 204 career stolen bases. If we look at career war, Mike Trout is at 80.7. He's a Hall of Famer. First ballot already. 80.7. I want to compare that to somebody. 80.7 would slot in between Tom Glavin and Jeff Bagwell just ahead of Pete Rose, Kurt Schilling, and Joe DiMaggio. Mike Trout, 31 year old Mike Trout. So I'm not concerned about like the legacy. I'm not concerned about his numbers when he's on the field. And I'm not even going to like beat a dead horse and say like, oh, well, he's got to stay on the field. I'm just saying. If the new reality that we have to live with is Mike Trout missing 50 or 60 games a year, so be it. He's going to have 30 pumps. He's going to have a 975 OPS. But I'm just 
I'm worried that we're always going to be playing the what if game. It's fair. He's got to stay on the field. But when he's on the field and he's leaning into this, he's the best player in baseball. He's the best player in baseball. It's not close, but you get docked for not being on the field. Mookie and Judge might have something to say about that, but you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. Let's talk about three guys who are superstars in this game, have been superstars in this game, but are weirdly overshadowed. I call them the forgotten superstars. Xander Bogarts. He's the AL leader in batting average. He surpassed Luis Arise. I'm going to show you his ranks among shortstops, shortstops this year. This is all shortstops in all of baseball. He's first in F4 at 5.7. He's first in batting average at 315. He's first in WRC plus at 139. He's first in Woba at 369. He's first in on-base percentage at 382. He's first in doubles at 37. He's first in OPS at 848. He's 12th in defensive runs saved with one. He's eighth in outs above average with five. Xander Bogarts, in a contract year, has been the best shortstop in baseball this season. Xander Bogarts, I'm going to say that again, has been the best shortstop in baseball this season. A lot of people were counting him out. A lot of people didn't think that he would be up here. Are you are you calling timeout that you don't think he's been the best shortstop in baseball this year? No, no, no. I, I was actually going to do like a, a physical like graph thing for our YouTube oh, yeah. folk. I'm doing this like trend up, trend down. As Dansby Swanson went up at the beginning of the year, Xander Bogarts was ticking slightly up, and you saw a slight improvements to defense and still like a pretty good offensive season, but it was Rafi Devers' offense. Second half of the year, as Dansby Swanson has started to slide down a little bit, Xander Bogarts has picked it up and kicked it to a new gear. New um, gear. New gear. I, and Xander's transformation as a defensive shortstop is everything when we get into contract negotiations because what Xander Bogarts has done is proven that he is not a play third base or DH guy which would dock him 50 million dollars he's a shortstop Xander Bogarts is a shortstop for the next four or five years of his playing career and then you move him to third slash DH um might win the batting title um, he might lead the American League in batting average. Batting title is three forty. Sorry, he might lead the American League in batting average. He would be the war leader among shortstops in baseball, and he's going to get an one hundred and fifty plus million dollar deal, which is awesome. And he probably won't be in a Red Sox uniform. And the Red Sox kind of deserve that for how they've dragged him. The Red Sox didn't get a lot of shine this year, but Xander Bogarts has certainly been one of them. Let's move on to another first baseman who's slightly being overshadowed by Paul Goldschmidt, which makes sense because Paul Goldschmidt may win the Triple Crown. But we cannot forget about Freddie Freeman here, folks. Among first basemen, well, he's first in hits, not just among first basemen, but in all of baseball, 171. In terms of first baseman, first in BSR, which is a base running stat on Fangraphs at 5.8. He's second in WRC plus 153. Second in F4 at 5.7. Second in on base at 394. Second in slugging at 510. Second in OPS at 905. He leads all of Major League Baseball in doubles. And he has 30 less strikeouts and 10 less walks than Paul Goldschmidt. Like there is no debate here that Paul Goldschmidt has been the best first baseman in baseball, but there is also no debate who's been the second best first baseman in baseball, and that's Freddie Freeman on the Dodgers. Like, we cannot forget that Freddie Freeman 
unless Goldschmidt was putting up a triple crown type season, Freddie Freeman might win the MVP. That's how good Freddie has been in his first season in LA. 44 doubles, and he also has 600 plate appearances. Like, this dude doesn't miss games. I think it's incredible. He he stays on the field every single day. Um, he might play, what, 158, 159 games this year? That's utterly incredible. No biggie. He's the best first baseman in baseball. I mean, I know Goldschmidt's having the best season, but what Freddie Freeman does year in and year out cannot be understated. Yeah, Goldie is the best first baseman in baseball this year, but on a year-by-year basis, like if you were to take entire careers into you know account, like Freddie Freeman's the best first baseman in baseball, yeah. And the best second baseman in baseball is Jose Altuve. First in WRC Plus at 159. Jack, that's fourth in baseball. Yeah. Jose Altuve. That's what I'm talking about when it's almost like these forgotten superstars. Like, did we know that Jose Altuve has the fourth best WRC plus in the game? He's third in F4 among second baseman at 4.9, second in ex-Woba, first in Woba. He's first in home runs by a, kind of a lot at 24 over Marcus Semien at 21. He's still sixth in stolen bases, so it's not like he's not running anymore like Mike Trout. He's got 15, striking out less than 15%, walking more than 10%. He's fourth in batting average at the position. He's second in on-base percentage. First in slugging at 526, this is where it gets crazy. The only second baseman above 485, and he has a 526 slugging. And he's also third in doubles with 34. Like, that's what I wanted to highlight here was Jose Altuve. We all know he's good. We all know he's good. But did we know he's one of the best players in all of baseball this season? Like, again, again. Yeah. So Altuve, I find myself like victim of this too, or I guess subject of this, um, guilty of this. Guilty. Third time's the charm. Guilty. Um, I find myself guilty of this. I find myself looking at leaderboards and when a name is too familiar, exactly. I just skip over them. Exactly. And Altuve is too familiar. Like Altuve doesn't derive any surprise that he is fourth in WRC plus. Like, Here's where I give pause. When I look at the WRC plus leaderboards in baseball, Aaron Judge at 202, the number 202 gives me pause. Yes. Paul Goldschmidt at 188, that number gives me pause. Jordan Alvarez gives me pause because he's new to the scene. But then Altuve, Arenado, Betts, Freeman, that doesn't do much for me. And then we get to Austin Riley at eight. That does a lot for me because he's new to the scene. But Altuve, Arenado, Betts, Freddie. Those guys do nothing for me because they're there all the time. And that's a testament to them. So here's the deal. Peter's Wi-Fi, super janky. He conked out right here. That's the end of the pod. Everything you need is in the episode description. And the three of us will be talking to you tomorrow.